In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous saviour. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel, nor will the Levitical priests ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings and to present sacrifices. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites, who are priests ministering before me, can be broken, and David will no longer have a descendant to reign on his throne. I will make the descendants of David my servant, and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars in the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not noticed that these people are saying, the Lord has rejected the two kingdoms he chose? So they despise my people and no longer regard them as a nation. This is what the Lord says. If I have not made my covenant with day and night and established the laws of heaven and earth, then I will reject the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his sons to rule over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, for I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much for that reading, Fiona. Do keep that passage open in front of you. If you've got a Bible and you've been following along, that would be really helpful for us this morning. Great. Can we have that slide back up, if that's right for you, from the PowerPoint? That would be helpful too. Perfect. This passage is all about what is to come, the Advent promise. And that's where the first verse of our passage starts in verse 14. It's the tagline for this whole chapter. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill, oopsie, might lose the projector here. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. We're told that God has a promise. And not just any old promise, no. The Lord has made a good promise to his people, to Israel and Judah. And one that will soon be fulfilled. The days are coming is the phrase. Now some of us may be opening our Advent calendars in the week ahead. And the countdown to Christmas will begin. Here in Jeremiah we see that there's been a countdown since the very beginning of time. The promises to to Adam and Eve of restoration, of relationships renewed. The promises to Noah of peace. The promise to Abraham of prosperity. The promise to David that a king would reign on his throne forever. All of those promises. And Jeremiah says to God's people, get your advent calendars out. The countdown has become the days are coming. And in the following verses, Jeremiah will show us three things about the promise and how it will be answered. So let's, let's dive into these verses together. And let me pray for us as we do so. Father God, we thank you for this chapter in Jeremiah. We thank you for the excitement of the season. Be with us now as we look at your word together. Help us to listen, to engage, and to go away from this place 
knowing you better and loving you more. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, firstly, we see the profile of the promise. In verses 15 to 18, we see that behind all of these promises that God has given to his people over generations, well, there is a figure, a person, one who will be the answer to that promise. And just like with those Christmas songs we had played earlier, we only only get a snapshot of who this person will be. Jeremiah begins to show us who it is that will be the answer to God's amazing promise. Now we're given a whole load of of little details that help us to begin to draw together a a profile of who's behind this promise. I don't know if you watch any of these uh, cop shows or crime thrillers where the police and the detectives are trying to get a clearer idea of the criminal of the assailants, and they have those different descriptions, and they sketch them in, and over time, a profile begins to take place. Well, here, it's not who's behind the crime, but who's behind the promise. And it's as if Jeremiah is giving us an artist's sketch of the one who is to come. It's not completely clear yet, but it gives us a wonderful impression. So what do we learn about the profile of the promised one? In verse 15, have a look. It says, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. The picture is that of a tree. David is the the royal root of that tree. And a family tree of kings has grown and grown. But the trouble is, in Jeremiah's day, that tree has been cut down. Judah's kings have been killed or taken into exile in Babylon. So what remains is less of a tree and more of a a pathetic stump. But in this verse, we see that out of that stump, eventually a branch will grow and sprout. And this is huge, because straight away we're told that this promise isn't going to be about just anyone. This is going to be about the promised king the branch from the royal line, the family tree of David. And we're told what this king will be like. Verse 15, he will do what is just and right. If you've been with us uh, on Sunday evenings in the past couple of months, then you'll know that we've just finished uh, our series in the books of Kings. We've had pretty much two months of king after king who has done evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's the repeated refrain that we get. And there's some serious stuff behind that, where there's unjust kings, often violent kings, who failed to lead the people to God and instead pointed them in the direction of idols. And so, into Jeremiah's context, the promise of a king who would be just and do what was right, well, would be amazing. It would be huge. And just a a word on Jeremiah's context, we're we're told in chapter 36 of the book that God's prophet is given warning of what is to come. At a time when Jerusalem, the, the capital of Judah, the city of cities, well, it's about to be destroyed. Jeremiah would have been right in the thick of it when the Babylonians would come, when they would surround and destroy the city and carry off all the people into exile for 70 long years. 
Jeremiah's context is full of destruction and a people who are desperate. And with that in mind, what we learn next about this promised king, well, it's all the more amazing. Verse 16, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. Put yourself in the shoes of God's people for a moment. The city lies in ruins around you. The temple is literally going up in flames. The mighty defenses of the walls, rubble. And you're being carried off into a distant land. Into that scene, Jeremiah says that this promised king will save Judah and enable Jerusalem to live in safety. And so it makes complete sense that we we get the title of this king in verse 16. What is it? It's the Lord, our righteous Savior. The profile is beginning to be sketched in. It's one of a Savior, a king who will save his lost people. But Jeremiah, again, he doesn't leave it there. Now, this isn't just anyone. It's a king. And this isn't going to be just any king. No, this will be the promised king who will reign forever. And we get this in verse 17, where God says, David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of Israel. A king who will never fail, never disappoint, never die. This is the promised king. And some 600 years later on from Jeremiah's day, we see that God is true to his word, faithful to his promises. As the angel Gabriel speaks to Mary in that well-known passage. Let me read it for us in Luke 1. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Did you see it there? Jesus, the promised king, will reign on David's throne forever. Forever. And this, then, is the profile of the promise. Jesus the coming king, who will save his people and reign forever. Well, we've had the profile of this Advent promise, this coming king. But secondly, we see that Jeremiah shows us the certainty of this promise. I wonder, can you think of the last time that you gave a promise to someone? And I wonder if you can think of the last time that maybe you broke a promise that you gave. It might have been as trivial as forgetting to take the, uh, the bins out, which you know, I've definitely done uh, in the last few weeks. Um, and I'm sure we're all guilty of those trivial types of things as well. It may be that you promised to stay in touch with someone, to call back soon, but the busyness of life takes over. Maybe we think of promises that we made over the last couple of years, experiences we were going to enjoy, gifts we were going to to give, trips we were going to take. But COVID, completely out of our control, but the events of life around us mean that we are unable to keep our word. Or I'm sure we can all think of those political promises made 
in the moment to, to, to win favor and perhaps votes. But in the long run, all too often, we see that there's a U-turn, a change of plans. So whatever it is, whether forgetfulness, busyness, life events, or just downright dishonesty, we will all know what it is to receive a promise and ultimately to have that promise broken. And so when we hear of this promise in Jeremiah 33, we can feel skeptical, doubtful of the validity of the claim. It's all well and good that Jeremiah gives us this wonderful promise of the coming king, but how could God's people actually trust it in the midst of all that they were going through? Will there really be a king on the throne after all this? Would he really reign forever? Could he actually offer us salvation? And God's people here, and God's promises, sorry, to us here this morning, well, they can often feel distant and doubtful in the midst of all that we're going through at the moment and are still going through at the moment. But unlike our promises and the promises of those who have let us down, God's word is sure. Have a look at verse 19 to 22. Here God speaks to Jeremiah and makes it clear just how reliable his promise is. God says in those verses, if you can break my covenant, my binding agreement with the day and the night, then my covenant and the promises with David, well, they too can be broken. So what this is saying is that as, uh, as sure as the sun will rise and the sun will set, that's how reliable God's promise of a coming king is which is both a beautiful image as well as being a real comfort for God's people standing in the ruins of Jerusalem. And it's a comfort for us here today too. That however dark things may seem in the dead of night, the sun will always rise. However long and difficult the day may be, the sun will always set without fail. That's how sure God's promise is it will never fail. Never. And so having stated just how unbreakable his promise is, God reiterates exactly what it is that he's guaranteed. David's line will not be broken. There will be numerous descendants, sand on the seashore kinds of numbers. And from that line would be the promised one, the coming of the king. For Jeremiah and Jerusalem, they would have to look ahead to that promise being kept. That 600 years to Jesus and his arrival that we celebrate in this season. And for us, we have the privilege of being able to look back. Look back 2,000 years and see that God always keeps his promises. As we read of the birth narrative over the next few weeks. And as we look at his life and his death the death of Jesus, as we look at the resurrection and see the rising of the sun, we can know without doubt that God's word has been kept and that his wonderful promise has been fulfilled and will be completely fulfilled at Christ's return. So, we've seen the profile of this Advent promise, the coming king. We've seen just how reliable and trustworthy this promise is as certain as the rising sun. 
But as we close, Jeremiah leads us to, to question what difference does this promise make to our everyday lives? It's all too easy, isn't it, to, to come together on a Sunday morning, to listen and engage, but ultimately to leave St. Luke's perhaps unchanged and unmoved. And God speaks through Jeremiah, and he wants his people then and his church now to feel the weight of this promise. He wants us to hope, to know and feel the hope of the promise. In the final verses of this chapter, God speaks again to Jeremiah, and he draws uh, the attention of the prophet to where the people are at. God says, look, Jeremiah, have you noticed what the people are saying, what they're thinking? They believe that I have rejected them, rejected Israel and Judah, and that as a result, they fear that they are a laughingstock to the nations around them. God knows the heart of the people. He knows where they're at. And into that despair, well, the Lord points to his promise and the complete reversal that it will bring. This chapter closes with these amazing words. I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. Complete reversal, complete restoration for God's people. Not rejection as they feared, but compassion. And again, if you've been uh, with us here in the evenings, on Sundays, in Kings, then you'll know that Jeremiah is speaking to God's people at their very lowest point in their entire history. And into that terrible darkness, well, God offers hope. From the rubble of a destroyed city to a kingdom that will last forever. From a line of kings that perpetually disappointed, did evil, and ultimately died, to the forever reign of a just and right savior king. From rejection to compassion. From death to life. That is the hope that this promise offers. It's not an abstract concept for us this morning. This shouldn't leave us unmoved. Rather, this is a hope that speaks into our everyday lives. Whether there is disappointment or darkness, God's promise shines light on those things. All of us here this morning will know that disappointment or darkness in our own lives. Of course, some will know it more keenly than others, but we will all know some aspects of our lives that we want restored, that we want transformed. Whether broken relationships, struggles with our physical or mental health, the loss of loved ones or friends, and perhaps even just the fear of death. These past two years have shown us nothing if not the fragility of our everyday lives. And into that despair, discontentment, doubt, and darkness, well, God places his promise of hope. God points us to the coming of the king, to Jesus, his son. Because in Jesus, there is utter transformation. There is complete reversal of all of those things. Under Jesus' kingship, we will know restored relationships. We will have resurrection bodies without pain, without blemish, and death will be no more. Death will be no more. There is a hope that pierces our darkest of days, a promise 
that we can cling to in the storms of life. Many of us may have uh, missed the opportunity to travel over the past couple of years. But pre-COVID times, maybe you were keen, uh, a keen traveler, and perhaps some of us made it as far as South Africa. This is a, a picture of the, uh, the bottom tip of Africa, the southerly cape, which roughly divides the Indian and Atlantic Oceans. And long ago, uh, the place was known as the Cape of Storms. So treacherous was it for sailors to try and navigate around. But with the, the promise of trade routes and great wealth in the east to be had, people would venture and try to navigate around it. But none ever returned. And so the very name of the place would strike fear into the hearts of sailors. It was the unknown. They didn't know what lay beyond the Cape of Storms. And I think death is like that for us. It's the great unknown. None have come back and none can tell us what lies beyond. And so we're afraid. We're afraid. Well, a Portuguese explorer named Vasco da Gama was the first person to, to sail around the Cape of Storms and make it to the east. And he returned with great wealth and riches. And so they decided to change the name from the Cape of Storms to the Cape of Good Hope. Like Vasco da Gama, Jesus was the first to return from death. He died, yes, but he rose to life again. And we have numerous eyewitness accounts of his resurrection. The book that you're holding in front of you, 500 people saw him, ate with him, spoke with him, even touched him, and they wrote it all down so that we here, 2,000 years later, can have the same hope that they had. We can be sure that there is a good hope, hope beyond the grave. Because Jesus is the only one who has gone before. He is the promised king who brings complete reversal. This is the hope of this Advent promise. That where there, is, where there was death, there is now life. Where there was fear of hell, there is now hope of heaven. Where there was rejection, there is now compassion. That's definitely something to remember. Definitely something to celebrate as we enter this season of Advent together. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much that uh, as we've lit that candle this morning, that we can celebrate that there is hope in the darkness. That no matter what kind of week we've had, what kind of day we've had, what kind of couple of years we've had, Father, we can look to your promises and know that you will always be true to them. Because in Jesus, you have answered them. We thank you for the promised king. We thank you for the hope that he gives us and the life that he offers. We thank you so much for Jesus. Help us not to leave here unmoved, but to know your love for us so much clearer and the hope that we have in him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me just briefly finish um, by pointing you to some perhaps good Christmas resources. I thought this would be helpful at the beginning of Advent to highlight to you. Maybe you've started your Christmas shopping, but um, just a few books uh, that I'd highlight to you. This is uh, The Christmas Promise, which really speaks into some of the themes that we've been thinking about today. Um, the one on the left is a board book 
perfect for little ones. The one on the right is an activity book that you can draw and color in. That's great for little kids too. They're both under four pounds. Um, you can get them on the, the Good Book Company or 10 of those websites. And they have fantastic resources to perhaps give to children, grandchildren, friends as well. Um, or alternatively, you've got on the left there uh, an Advent family devotional. Maybe that's something that would be really helpful for you. It's by a guy called Ed Drew who gets kids perfectly, and he's written that to kind of capture the adventure of Christmas. And that's something you could explore together as a family. Or one for kind of eight years and older, um, the promise and the light, again, speaks into these wonderful themes of the coming king who was promised. And that's great for slightly older children and teens as well. So just a little book plug for you as we head into the Christmas season. Thanks, Tom.